Hi, I'm Emily Roger, host of the Boiling Point Podcast. My co-host, Dave Vale, and I will bring you thoughtful discussions with leaders who are positively impacting our world. This is The Boiling Point, where leadership and inspiration meet. All right, here we are back for another episode. One of my favorite days every couple of weeks when we get to record an episode for one and get to catch up with you, although we get to chat uh, quite frequently, which is amazing. So how are you? What's what's new? I'm good. I'm good. I was thinking about turning it back to you and asking you about um, what it's like emceeing an event. People that would have listened to Rachel's episode and Rachel's last name is escaping me right now for some Vander reason. Venon. Rachel Vandervenen. She's she's got such a presence and uh, I just really appreciate it. and and she does work with Larsh and we promoted that event and it was a sold out event not 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 necessarily because of us because it's such a popular event but you emceed it and uh yeah I thought you did a fabulous job very comfortable up there I don't know if you felt comfortable you sure look comfortable and I love how you brought some of the large community in and supported them and their their bits and pieces. And the whole event was really well done. But uh, what was it like for you? I loved everything about it. And I was incredibly comfortable. And, you know, just this thing around like what Larsh even stands for and about community. And for me, it's like for getting up and whether it's like public speaking or emceeing event where, I mean, gosh, there was over 400 people. And Ultimately, it's all about community and it's all about all of us doing our part and showing up just fully as we are. And in having the other, um, a couple of the community members join me up on stage to present and Stefan, who helps with some of the emceeing, like it was just such a beautiful evening and heartfelt. And I had so much fun and it was just really wonderful to be up there and see how engaged everybody was and um, how we can all kind of come together for these yeah with similar similar causes similar just like care and compassion and love for one another and I already look forward to it for next year's event <laughs> maybe you'll be MC maybe you'll be MC next year your story connects so well with being there you know with your sister and your family and unbeknownst to me you are uh, a very good auctioneer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there was an artist for listeners that was like painting live, like while the event was going on. And she presented the painting out, this beautiful painting. And you said, oh, let's auction this off. I've never done this before. And it started a little slow. You started at 500 and it was, but then it picked up steam. And then went later than I expected. Like I had to get, I can't remember, I, did, I had a pickup of some one of the kids. So as I was walking out, I heard you were like, okay, so are we at 1700 bucks? I think it was at that point. And I was like, wow, well done. It went to way over 3000. Oh, see, there you go. Or maybe yeah. it was up higher. Yeah, it was just like, but it was, it was good. You didn't, you didn't quit. You kept no. with it. And people <laughs> eventually started. <laughs> Did you call me out? I, I was worried about I that. Did call I call you like, out. And I kind of nominated people to auction, like, the, to like, <laughs> yeah, the, the total opposite of probably how any auctioneer does thing. I'm like, oh, you, you want that for Amazing. <laughs> it worked. It worked. There was a psychological element to it. So 
that at one point I thought, worst comes to worst, I am going to be the one paying for what uh, the number that I'm putting in these people's mouths or what this painting is going to go for. I'll have to split the difference. <laughs> it was awesome. So well done and good auctioneering. And, um, and today I'm going to let you bring our guest in, but it's neat because we often invite people back. Um, well, not often, but you know, there's there's times in the conversation it's not over. And our our guest was two years ago. We just figured out it was on, and uh, I'll let you kind of thread this together. But there's a really interesting reason to bring guests back on for for a whole bunch of reasons, but maybe something that connects with our preliminary conversation. Yeah, absolutely, Phil. Come on in. Welcome back to the boiling point. So initially, gosh, which is crazy, it was two years ago, but at the end of the podcast, we were like, we have to do this again. And Phil and I were having a conversation about a month ago, and we were talking about a book that he is writing. And it reminded me of the, well, and Phil, I'll, I'll have you tell this story, actually, because it would have been from your perspective. Yeah. Thanks, Sammy. Thanks, folks. Hey, Dave. Great to be here again. Yeah. So almost two years ago, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be here uh, on this podcast. And I think one of the departing questions from yourself, Dave, was like, where's your book then? Or when's your book coming out? And and uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, like kind of I don't know if I said that out loud, but I kind of thought that, you know, uh, and really uh, then since then, it's been kind of a two year journey into all around belief belief in myself and belief in my stories and you know really understanding that we all have unique stories and all of our stories can impact somebody somewhere and you know that's that saying that we all have a book inside of ourselves so you asked me that question and it you know it sat there and I didn't really do anything with it and then you know as I my career progressed my business progressed I heard you know I found myself doing more keynote speaking doing more kind of leadership workshops and you know, two or three times, you know, in the six months following, people come up to you and say, where's your book? Like, why is it not a book? And it was, you know, the third or fourth time somebody said that to me. I, I said, OK, Phil, like, you've got to you've got to start taking this seriously. And like many things, it wasn't about how oh, I've got to write a book. It was about really believing in my stories and believing that my stories were worth telling. And, you know, what the reason I was able to unpack that they were was, you know, through kind of the power of coaching, if you like. And. Yeah, it's ironic that most things come down to that self-belief. And so now there is almost a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love the topic. This is a such a juicy topic, right, about belief in yourself. And it's funny how we can hear someone else's story and see the brilliance in it. But when we turn that mirror to ourselves, it's, just, it's maybe because it's it's our story, we're so used to it. I don't know. What do you, what do you make of that? What is it about our stories that make it harder to tell. I think that the first, like, yeah, that our stories, so we're so used to them. So we don't think they, they're, they're worth telling. They're unique, whatever. Everyone has these sort of stories. I think that's got a part to play to it. And then I just think it's the, I think it just comes down imposter syndrome. I mean, it sounds so simple, but who, who am I to write a book? Who am I to share my story? And it's interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, and they said, do you think I'm too confident? And I said, no, not at all. I said, I think you're confident. I said, but I do not think there's any such thing in this world as being too confident. I, I think, yes, of course, there's risks with being overconfident, but there's far more risks with being underconfident. And when you look at all the, this, you know, a lot of things that go on, and especially in workplaces and some of the poor leadership, a lot of that comes down to a lack of confidence. So, 
you know, I, I mean, I've gone a little bit of tangent, but I, I think most things come down to confidence. And if we have it, we need to bottle it up in a mason jar and just keep it because the world and society will will beat that confidence out of us. So we should never think we're too confident. What in particular you think kind of beats that confidence out of us? In an adult in today's world, you know, the constant, you know, it's just so easy to to be judged or to feel like we're being judged. You know, obviously, we we have a society which has kind of promoted this perfectionism type mindset, which just simply doesn't exist. You know, I don't believe there's any such thing as someone asked me, who who do you emulate for your leadership, Phil? And, and it was quite an interesting question. I'd never been asked it before, but I, I answered pretty quickly. I was like, you know, I don't emulate anybody. I don't I don't believe we should emulate anybody. I think we should create our own blueprint because there's so many opinions and thoughts about who we should be and how we should show up and how we should do it. And we try we adapt, change, shape, mold who we are to try to avoid failure, to try to avoid people criticizing us. And it, they still do it anyway. So, you know. Yeah, at least we're just giving them the truth to criticize on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what kept you going through it? A lot of it for me was unpacking my own stories and experiences that I hadn't unpacked. And so, you know, I'll be very clear. I'm writing the book for myself first and foremost. Like, this has been a book written for myself. I'm not writing this book to, you know, of course, I'd love to, you know, for it to make an impact and, you know, for people to buy it. But like my absolute goal is, you know, is to, for myself to understand my experiences more, understand the impact they've had on me and how they've shaped who I am. Uh, and so that has been uh, an absolute blessing, but it's also been a struggle because it's taken me down experiences and paths that I, I've avoided to go down, you know, and, and forced me to ask questions that I haven't asked. And, you know, so there'll be moments I would sit in a coffee shop and three hours later I would have wrote pages because I thought I was going to write 500 words before I picked one of my kids up and they end up just sitting there for hours writing pages and pages because it opened up things I hadn't, you know, kind of addressed before. So I think just knowing why I'm writing the book has been what's kept me going. Because number two is for my kids. That's it. Like if I just hit number one and two, it's for myself and then for my kids. That's that's all that matters, you know. And I think, you know, the later the book's gone on or as I'm getting to the end and that final push to the end, it's definitely number two, which is helping me a lot. You know, my kids are 10 and 12 now. They're at the age where they they want to know some of my experiences. You know, I mean, I don't know if listeners know I was in the army and, you know, served overseas in combat. and was a leader at a young age and had a lot of failures and a lot of experiences. And they, they're inquisitive about them now. And I don't do a very good job at maybe verbalizing them, that with them. I don't know uh, what to share, what context to share it in. And sometimes you just can't to a kid. So, you know, it's part of it is just making sure those stories or the lessons, more than lessons and the messages I've learned are, are there for them. And, hey, they can do what they want with them. I'm not saying they have to, learn, you know, they they might not follow those messages, but that's okay. I think this is a really nice teaser because like for listeners that didn't listen to the first podcast, maybe we should go back to like your story, Phil. Cause I imagine I'm just, I sometimes I, when I'm sitting, I imagine me being the listener. I'm like, okay, like, well, so what's the story? <laughs> like, I want to know what the story is. <laughs> what is it about? Uh, because it's, it's quite brilliant. Maybe you can give, um, you know, just kind of bookend it for us a bit. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my professional career up till a number of years ago was in the army. I was in the British army, Canadian army, and actually served the U S army. So I served three armies, 
Uh, but a lot of my formative years and experiences with the with the British Army, and I served overseas in Afghanistan. I served with the, the Gurkha and Nepalese soldiers, uh, and also alongside the Afghan Army. So I served with you know cultures, countries, and really different continents. Uh, and I, I, you know, everything I share is really through a lens of failure. I mean, I failed at a catastrophic levels leading soldiers in combat, and I failed in more routine levels. And so really those are the lessons that have shaped me. And then I went to work uh, for the public service for five, six years. And, you know, ultimately I call it the COVID mirror. You look in the mirror during COVID and you ask a lot of deep reflective questions. And I wasn't living my life of purpose. So how I viewed it and my life purpose was really to, to give back to, you know, to try to put the lessons that I'd been, I'd learned through leadership into better use. And hence I started my own kind of boutique leadership development and coaching business but I always like to emphasize I've never defined myself by the military. That's not who I am. And I always like to, you know, to remind folks, I, I probably learned more about leadership working in McDonald's for two years at 16 years old, working on a farm at 14, watching my amazingly, incredibly strong daughter manage her own disability as she's coming into preteen years, you know, watching my wife and how she leads with empathy every single day, no matter what's going on, you know? So all those sort of things have kind of really drive and inspire me to, to make, you know, to help others become better leaders. Cause often I don't necessarily blame the leaders. I blame the lack of training and opportunities they've had to actually become a good leader. It's funny how you say the military doesn't define you, but like it's unique to you and, Many of us haven't had, you know, I haven't had personally military experience, you know, and you talk about failing on catastrophic levels and kind of more mundane levels. So the process of going through those stories and writing, I'm assuming about the failures, the good times, the bad times, all those sorts of things, sounds very therapeutic. And uh, it actually sounds a little kind of scary, to be honest. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself going like it takes courage, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. And I think, and that's what has been the biggest delay in writing this book. I mean, it took, you know, it took me 10 years to even open literally the shoebox. The shoebox still covered in sand, dirty sand from desert in Afghanistan with letters I'd wrote to my wife and she wrote to me and letters to my family and my own journal that I wrote. I hadn't, and I'd never read that in over 10 years. And it was literally over the last year, this year, I sat down and I read that journal. I was so scared about what I was going to read in that journal. Uh, but it was really great because it helped to remind me memory you know memory warps and sometimes i sometimes I, I question did this really happen to me and i have to go back to that journal and remind myself yeah it did and you know so it's it's been yeah you're absolutely right fear fear is absolutely been the thing that's held me back and writing it through my own digging down and really understanding and them and now fear holds me back it's not holding me back i'm overcoming that but fear holds me back by getting this to the point where it could be published or it will be published because now other people are going to read those experiences you know, and that, that opens up a whole other le level of, of doubt and kind of self-judgment, if you like. Yeah, it's interesting, too, you know, talking about how you were saying before, how we all have the story. And, you know, that thing around imposter syndrome of like, who am I to write a book or who's going to want to hear about me or what do I even have to share? And, you know, I wonder of how much of it is about this, like, that it can be really uncomfortable when we do have to start to look within to actually see like, okay, what is our story? You know, and you talk about like unpacking those boxes, both figuratively and literally. And then when we open those things, when we open those compartments, it's like, oh, now we've got to kind of deal with them and just how important and 
therapeutic that is because like, I believe as leaders, like we can only take people as far as we are willing to go ourselves. And in order to do the work within that, we do have to fully look at ourselves and, uh, and really dive into it. What do you find that the hardest part of that process has actually been? Of actually writing the book? Or just of the like opening up those, those, those compartments, those boxes that like, let's say two years ago in conversations that you and I have had, you wouldn't even tap into. Yeah. You know what? It's a great question. And I think my initial rea- reaction and answer is, is the what's been the hardest part is that lingering question I always had is what's going to be the impact of this on somebody else when they read it? And I specifically mean others who had similar experiences or were there experiencing the exact same thing that I was. So I was very, I'm still very cognizant and cautious that I, I've chosen to unpack some of my experiences and stories, but some of them I've, even though I've unpacked, I'm not writing about and I'm not sharing because that might create challenges for other people who have chosen not to do that and so you know I'm always kind of hold there are there are some things I've held back there are quite a lot of things I've held back and that I will not write about uh, in that book even though they're you know defining moments because it's sometimes they're not my stories to tell and even if there are my stories to tell the impact on others I know to this day is quite significant and I don't feel it's fair to you know take others in a place where they don't want to go yet yeah. And even with like, so with your public speaking and you, I mean, you've really stepped into that area, that yeah. arena. How much do you think of like your work with other people, both in speaking and leadership development and training and coaching has given you maybe that confidence to step into more fully of who you are? It's given me so much confidence because almost like what Dave said about our stories, like sometimes what we know is obvious to us because we know it. And it was only as I started to deliver these speeches or deliver that training where people were like, oh my gosh, this, yes, Phil, this is fantastic. I wish I'd heard this before. Or, you you know, you've really just reinforced something I, I've been thinking about. No one's ever, you know, echoed. And it just gave me confidence that my message, people do want to hear my message. It does resonate with people, you know, and it does have an impact. And I think that was what kind of that snowball effect of just, you know, having that confidence belief and then also i'll be honest maybe i'm at just a point in my life where you just start to care less about what other people think and i don't mean that in a i don't mean that in a in an arrogant way but you just realize how much time energy i've wasted in my life trying to worry about what others may think and then you realize you know what we're all too busy looking inside our own problems and our own issues and own challenges so you know, it was almost like, I think you, even Emily, I think you might have asked me this in a coaching call, I'm sure it's like, what right do I have to keep these things inside if they can impact somebody else? Like, I don't have a right, you know? So yeah, I think the the drive, uh, my desire to share my messages become has become way greater than my fear of what those messages, you know, how they may land with people. One of the, the biggest, yes, of being a coach, but also one of the biggest challenges is it doesn't always feel like you're when you're talking to your client, you can't help but think, am I doing this work? Like, am I, you know what I mean? Like you're really encouraging someone to be, you know, courageous or whatever. And then you, then you kind of, <laughs> you look and you're like, well, wait a sec. And it's like, oh shit, now I got to do this. You know what I mean? Like, and I just don't yeah. want to do this, but how can I be credible? Like, yeah, you know, of course your client doesn't know this, but I, you know, start to feel like a fraud if I'm not trying to yeah. do my own work. And it's sometimes exhausting. <laughs> so, uh, it's so true. 
Me and Emily, we were talking about this just this morning even. It's like when we're in a coaching conversation, you know, you're actually at the end of it, you were like, oh, wow, yeah, maybe I should listen to my own advice. And, you know, you said something, Dave, about fraud. You know, a defining moment almost in my path to kind of creating and launching my own business. I'll never forget this. It was my daughter, uh, you know, was figure skating quite a lot at the time. And she was maybe seven or eight. And she's going on to a big show. And she's going on the ice all by herself. And she's really scared. And typical dad, I was like, or typical parent, you know, I was like, oh, don't be scared. Don't be scared. You'll be fine, you know. And and she got on the ice and she skated in front of like these these adults and just did incredibly well just because she got on the ice and skated. And there I was, you know, living my comfortable job, if you like, a very secure salaried position. So I was here I am telling my eight-year-old daughter not be scared, don't let fear drive your car and all these great motivational, inspirational quotes. And yet I am completely doing the opposite. You know, and I'm so I just remember I was like, Phil, you're an absolute fraud and you have no right to stand there and, and say this to your kids if you don't actually start doing something about it yourself. I kind of called myself out and that's, you know, I've, all, I've kind of held myself accountable to that aspect since, you know. Yeah. And I think that like the, the support that it's needed, you know, it's like, I look at that, like the, the imposter syndrome and the fear. And that for me, it's like, there's almost 40 years of compounded stuff that has like made me have that self doubt. And that it is that way with everyone. of just like all of the experiences compounded on each other that even when we do then start to say like, okay, I'm going to work through that. Like if I'm, if I'm encouraging a child or whoever else to get on the ice, but that it is like, that it is hard. <laughs> that personal work is hard and that it is a nonstop ongoing thing. And even though we can encourage others and support and facilitate that, like for myself, like, I mean, gosh, like I call on YouTube all the time because like, we need that support from one another. But it is that thing of like, okay, it comes up, like that self-doubt comes up or that imposter syndrome comes up. And now what are you going to do about it? Mm, yeah. What are you going to do about it? I love that. And, you know, I think we have these defining moments in our life and we make promises to ourselves to grow and to lean into the discomfort. But then nature takes over and we just become comfortable and more comfortable and more comfortable and that's exactly the path I was on five and six years ago I was living a life of comfort and it you know reading my journal and kind of unpacking my experiences it actually reminded me as a such a defining moment which I kind of had forgotten about it, you know we all had to write a letter home to our loved ones that hopefully they would never read you know unfortunately a couple of uh, folks who were with they, their letters got read and you know you never want your letter, letter read obviously and when we left the when we were relatively safe like leaving the country we all got these letters handed back to us and, and mine was a handwritten letter you know and I wrote to my wife and it was sealed envelope you know and and I remember walking into the desert in the middle of the night and it was like literally pitch black and I took this letter and I ripped it into pieces in my hand and I took a lighter and I lit that lit the letter and let it burn into the ground I remember making a commitment and promise to myself that I've been given a chance and opportunity and I will never, ever punch my ticket in life. And like I used to work in a factory in Black & Decker and you punch your ticket in and out, you just check in and out, you know, and I, was, I used to, I made the commitment, like never, ever punch your ticket in life, Phil, never, ever, like take these experiences you've had and do something with them. And then five or six years ago, I'd completely forgotten about that promise and that commitment. And I absolutely was living a life of comfort, you know, and then reading, like, so unpacking my experiences and really helped me to remind myself of those defining moments and the commitments that I'd made to myself, you know? That's very powerful. <laughs> it's, and maybe on some level, you, I don't know, I give myself some grace sometimes, like maybe I just need a little 
to chill a little bit. I don't need to be climbing this this hill, like you know, my hill, whatever that hill is. But good for you to catch yourself on the plateau and say, you know what, I want to start climbing again. You know, the the notion where you you, you step outside your comfort zone, your whole the whole comfort zone expands. You know, as you've gone through this and you've done this and you you kind of challenge yourself. What else has changed in your life, if anything? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And my wife would give you the, the better answer. But it's <laughs> funny because actually we were speaking about this. Just, I was, even this morning we were speaking about this. And I won't use the exact words because we were being pretty open and frank with each other. But I basically said, can you imagine if I was still working in X? Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I did not like myself then. And she was, she just looked at me and said, oh, you didn't like yourself? Like, we didn't like you, you know? And and those weren't the exact words we used. We was, we, our words were way more fruitful than that. Her words towards me even. So, you know, it, like, I, I was giving leftovers to my family at the end of the day. It's like a buffet of food that, and all the energy was getting spent in, you know, other areas and not the people that matter the most. And so absolutely, you know, I would like to say I'm, you know, a lot more present as a spouse and as, as a as a dad, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm better. It's a lifelong journey. <laughs> I fail every day in those areas, but you know, I would say that it, there's so many positive impacts and I really, sometimes we question, you know, like we, my wife's an entrepreneur as well. And we have very, you know, busy lives and kind of not the typical eight to four, nine to five or whatever. And we work evenings and weekends and you say, is this, how is this impacting our kids? And yeah, there's some moments where I'm sure they would, you know, love us to be there and we're not, but also I think there's a lot of things they're they're learning by watching us and and, you know how we're kind of courageously going and creating our our own path if you like what is one of the biggest things that you have learned about yourself through stepping into public speaking i mean it's almost like reinforcing or really that that what there's always something else that we're going like we never stopped our learning journey like so i get up there and i'll speak every time and and every time i'm speaking it's almost like dave was talking about coaching like i'm learning something myself like the same words are coming out my mouth roughly but the the message in my head or the impact afterwards to me is completely different and so you know it's almost like i watched a webinar early on today and i'd watched this webinar six months ago and you can same analogy applies to watching a movie is you watch it you watch that movie or read that book but you read it another stage in your life six months a year six years there's a different message that you're gonna you know find so every time even i recount one of my experiences i'm like oh wow yeah that's actually what that could mean as well you know yeah it's almost like how our like our story is always constantly changing with the given space that we are in life and like the new knowledge that we have about ourselves and insights. And uh, yeah, I find that a really just fascinating thing. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.
we have this one uh, workshop. It's called Using Coaching to Lead, and it's half day. And I, I would suspect I've delivered it 50 times, you know, like just myself, right? In Serbia, in um, Northern British Columbia, you know, in deep Florida, like I'm just everywhere, very culturally different places. It's really about like, what is coaching? What is not coaching? You do coaching demonstration, you show two versions, you teach people the skill of powerful questions and how to listen and through experiences though. And I, I love doing it. This is a perfect amount of time for me because I find, you know, the full day, that afternoon can be a little bit of a grind, you know? What is really interesting is is the learning I get as a moderator every or facilitator every time I deliver it to a new group. And it's like, oh, frig, I never thought of it. The content really hasn't changed in whatever, however many years. Like it, Maybe it's closer to 100 times. I don't even know how many times I've delivered it. But there's something about repetition that's probably not a bad thing in terms of deepening our understanding. Like you think I'd be bored of it, but I actually don't. I really enjoy it. Not because I'm really comfortable with the content, but because I'm kind of curious, like how is how is this group going to respond to this part, right? Or what what are the feedback going to be that I just, wow, never you know considered that before. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love it. I, I completely relate and it makes so much sense. And they, you know, I was delivering a workshop a couple of weeks ago and I, at the beginning I said, listen, I'm going to tell you a secret. Like I'm actually going to learn more today than any any of you sat here and it's so true you learn so much more if you're curious and lean in and you know going back to like some things you said there dave yeah like i'll deliver my keynote and there's you know there's parts of it which i really which really stand out to me and then you'll speak to somebody afterwards and they won't even mention those parts as having any impact on them whatsoever and then they'll say like this random throwaway message you know i've put in there like but that when you said that i'm like what that's just like a random throwaway you know and then and then you'll say the exact same words and two people will have completely interpreted it in through their own perspective in completely different ways, which is absolutely fine. That's what you want to happen, but it's fascinating. Yeah, big time. And this whole thing too around like perfecting it and perfecting our message. And uh, when so often it's just that thing of like speaking what comes and just trusting and knowing that like whoever is going to take it is going to take it in a way that they need to take it the way they need to take it. I like that. And I like your emphasis on, yeah, like, I mean, the world's craving authenticity right now. I mean, well, we have been for a number of years. We've just realized it maybe. But I mean, we're craving it and we're buying it and we're following it. And I think there's nothing more authentic than just getting up on stage and just, you know, not delivering a perfect message. You know, you know but like last week I, I gave a keynote for a big conference here in the province and I'd say it was, you know, it was the most relaxed I'd been in given a keynote and it and it wasn't perfect. And I stumbled. And yet I to me, if I had to rate myself, it's best keynote I've ever, ever delivered. Now, it's not about what I think about it. Obviously, it's about what the audience think about it. But I was relaxed. I was able to connect the audience, look them all in the eyes, make a few ad hoc jokes, connect the message a little bit better than because it wasn't it wasn't perfect. I wasn't worried about the script or the message, you know? Yeah. And then it's like a matter of, okay, well, who is it about then in those moments? Like when you're really trying to like perfect it and whatever else, like, is it about you or is it about like the message that you are actually trying exactly. to give to who you're speaking to? It's like coaching, I guess coaching, you're there to serve the person you're coaching. I think when we're delivering a keynote, for instance, we are there absolutely 100% to serve that audience. It is a privilege and we're there to serve that audience and not about making ourselves look like we're this, you know, amazing speaker can deliver a perfect script. What can people expect in terms of seeing this book or, or, or learning more about it? We don't, we don't have a title right now. We're no, no. Yeah. I mean, I have a title. 
I don't know why I don't want to say what the title may be. It's around the whole book. The whole premises of the book is around making yourself irrelevant as a leader. Like I truly believe in our role in a leader. And it's a paradox. It's a little bit play on the title there, you know, um, but it's about, you know, delegating, empowering, trusting everyone around us so they can really, you know, bring their whole talent and you know have the space and freedom to shine themselves. So it's all about, you know, the irrelevant, uh, the irrelevant leader, if you like. Uh, so we're, I'm kind of at the, you know, kind of editing. Got, I've got an editor on board. We're going through the, you know, first, second edits. So I don't know, to be honest with you, I'm very naive. I deliberately am naive, if you like. Um, but, the, you know, I, I mean, I roughly know what the next steps will be. But I think we're a few months out. Um, but a lot of, if there's any delays, it's just because of imposter syndrome and fear. So I just got to push through them. And like I said, I'm not trying to write, you know, this bestseller, but I, do find that I think my message will resonate, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a common. It's not a how-to book, but it's not a memoir. It's, a, it's a combination of both. Like you know, it's, it shares my stories, it shares some of my experiences, but it's not. I've never been a fan of telling war stories. It's not just me telling war stories. It's not at all what it's about. You know, I tell a story to help res- the message resonate, but you know, and then I do a little bit of like, okay, like this is what I think, but it's not like a, a one-on-one guide to how to lead. Well, because there is no such thing. It doesn't exist. And I, I'm guessing it'll be such a nice addition to uh, you speaking. If people want to learn more, they can purchase a book. We were talking to an author a couple of interviews ago, and um, he was describing, you know, for him, I, I thought probably everyone's a little different, but not approaching a publisher until he was, you know, really well into it versus feeling like um, you're promising something you're not sure you can deliver. And I, I wanted to ask him more about that, Emily, because I was kind of curious about that. Yeah. I, I, I assumed it was the other way around. You go, you kind of pitch the idea, and then you got to follow through on it. Uh, I, and I know this is you're doing this for a different reason. And you're, and I mean, he he would be like have written three books and that sort of thing. But there's some wisdom in what you're doing. I guess is is what I learned from this other interview. I want my message, my message to be my message. It's gonna be authentic. And if a publisher said to me, "Hey, if you change these three, four pages this chapter it's going to sell more i'll be like no i'm sorry i'm not unless it's grammatically wrong you know unless there's some editing but like you know it's going to be my story and you know what is like i said there's three people it needs to resonate with the most and that's me and my two kids as long as it resonates with them then my job you know that's my goal in one of our previous conversations phil you and i were speaking around the like coming off of the highs and so whether it is the high of a big project or giving a keynote or a trip or how do you find, because I think that this is something that like I know from my clients of like speaking a lot about just those ups and downs and how to navigate those and how does navigating those look like for you? It's a great topic, isn't it? And I, I do find often I have the highs and lows, you know, you, you, you deliver a keynote and it lands well with the audience and then, you know, then what the next day you just sat in your home office again doing business development you know what i mean and so i i think a lot of it comes down to you know, the we heard so many times but just the whole discipline the individual discipline you know and i truly believe that you've got to be disciplined and motivation may may follow but you've got to be disciplined first and foremost so that's I, i'm a, i'm somebody who likes structure it's always hard to get in household when you've got kids but now that you know school's back in uh full form and everything like that it's 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 a lot easier so I uh, I need to have structure and I need to be disciplined uh, to kind of manage those, you know, but I think acceptance as well, there is highs and lows and that's life. And I saw a great quote the other day and I'm going to paraphrase and get it wrong, but it's, you know, life's hard. It's always been hard, always will be hard. Learn how to, you know, to, 
to work and live through the hard, you know, struggle well, as they say, you know. And so I think that's uh, just the way it is. How do you navigate through those times, Dave? The hard? Or even just the like, yeah, when when things like when business feels like it could be going super well and you're just like you're motivated and then you have those days or a week where it's like just kind of feeling that slump. Oh, man. I mean, for me, exercise is so important. I think we probably all share that because, you know, pre post workout, the same challenge doesn't seem the same to me. So that's critically important for me. You know, and it's funny because a lot of times you'll be wrestling with something and then you'll think to yourself like so if someone else is presenting this to me what well, how would i you know what would i do to encourage them and I'm like how is it hard to do it yourself sometimes <laughs> so uh it's kind of recognizing it like there there's been some highs and lows that we've had some really good things happening and then there's just the inevitable challenge and i think what might be challenging for phil or for me might not be for you emily and vice versa i'm trying hard to, and that's why i'm so fascinated with this topic to do what you're describing, Phil, which is just to do the uncomfortable, keep pushing. And I think the pandemic kind of created a little bit of safety for me, like in terms of certain things that have really become obvious, like, wait, you got to get out and do X because for some reason you're avoiding that. What's going on there? Go do it, you know? So for me, it's about doing. And uh, I think the more inactive I am, the more it just, it kind of gets in my head and not, not good. So, but what I try to do and what I try not to do, I don't even know if that makes any sense, but I, I'm a work in progress. How's that? I'm still figuring <laughs> We all are. Maybe I'll get up and I'll start reading Phil's book when I get it. And I'll go, all right, now I'm ready. You know? The exercise thing is so such a great point, though. I mean, the last six months, I've probably failed on the exercise thing. I, you know, and I was in a slump. And I can is a direct correlation to how what, much I exercise and my mental state is absolutely directly correlated. And, uh, you know, it's just getting out and going for a walk or something. Everything just helps put everything in perspective and gets our own minds. And it's so easy. It's so easy to forget that. So, yeah, I think the exercise and no one wants. I mean, let's be honest. No one wants to get up in the morning, and go and exercise. No one wants to actually, you know, drive to the gym or whatever it is. I mean, some days, yeah, we do. But I'd say the majority of days, like, ah, oh, come on. But I think, you know, thinking about the long term goal and knowing the positive impact that has on our mindset is key. Speaking of which. Uh, about a year ago, almost exactly, Phil and I were on a conversation, Dave, and Phil had mentioned, well, Phil, you tell the story. I think you know where I'm going. Are you talking about my uh, competition? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, COVID that you mentioned, Dave, I, it got me comfortable, if you like, uh, by not working out as much as I should work out and, you know, not going out as much, you know, getting out of the house and fresh air. And it's January 2022, I guess. I was like, eh, Phil, like you, you got to do something here. You're on a slippery slope. Physically, you're on a slippery slope, but mentally, it was absolutely affecting my mental health. And I'm the sort of person where I need a, a bit of an extreme, it's not the right word, but I just, I need, I need a challenging goal to help lift me up. So I was like, I'm going to do a physique competition, a men's, you know, bodybuilding physique competition. And, you know, going into the, I, I entered the, uh, can't even call it, but immense physique, you know, so just not the big category, but just, you know, really just toned down. And and I went on basically a almost a 12-month kind of journey of really, really dedicating 
a lot of time and energy to my nutrition, to my physical kind of exercise. You know, I was working out almost 10 times a week of weighing every single bit of food. I ate macros, you know, didn't drink alcohol for almost a year. You know, I really was eating completely clean and it had nothing to do. It had nothing to do with the actual competition or what that was doing to my body. It was absolutely all about a mental challenge. I I feel like I'd lost, I'd lost confidence in being able to overcome adversity. And I, and, you know, I was living in and living in, you know, Canada in such a comfortable life. And I hadn't always had, you know, I was obviously been in a lot of different extreme situations where I've had to face adversity. So I was always challenging myself in that role in that way. And I was always getting confidence that I could overcome adversity and I'd lost that. So I almost had to create this false, if you like, tough environment for me to prove to myself that I still had the mental capacity. So I went on this big adventure and I competed last November, October. It was fantastic. And, you know, the ironic thing is though, leading up to that, it was in Moncton. I drove to the the event. I I wasn't really, I didn't really care about the weekend. It wasn't really, yeah, it was like, meh, you know, because to me it was about the journey. It was about proving to myself that I could do it, that if, you know, that if I needed to put my mind something that I could do it. And I think that that was a great training ground for the book and for my business now and to be disciplined and structured because it makes me and forced me to do so many things that I didn't, I don't want to do, you know, and, you know, I know it sounds odd, but if I can spend a summer sitting around campfires and, you know, eating rice and boiled chicken and drinking a bubbly when everyone else is doing the complete opposite, then, you know, I can pretty much get through a lot of the hard business things. That is good. That is fertile ground like that. Well done. Well done. I love that. Um, Marilyn has a similar story to that, uh, Emily, that you, that I think. We yeah, made. I was actually just thinking that Marilyn Orr, yeah, who has also been on the podcast and is a coach and on the vision coaching roster. And yeah, she the same. Yeah, very similar. Very similar. But that, Emily, part you didn't mention, sorry, Dave, is that that started during a coaching call, one coaching call in particular. Emily coached me and she basically said, like, you're going to get off this call. You're going to go and find a gym. You're going to join a gym and stop quit with your excuses, basically. You know, and she didn't use this word. She obviously was a great coach and she coached me into that mindset myself. But that's how it all started. It was like she's got notes in it because we referenced them. It's like beginning of December 2021. And I got my credit card out, went to a, went to a gym. And that was it. All because one coaching call. The other thing I find a real gift. I mean, we talked about some of the challenges around the work you got to do on yourself to feel like you need to be credible. But the other, the gift is doing podcasts is a real gift because it, whatever's going on in my head two hours ago is like, you just feel very present to who you're interviewing and talking to and learning from, or, you know, that work with clients is this. And I find that can really pop you out of if you're feeling a little low or a funk or have one of those inevitable kind of lows, it shouldn't be designed this way, but it, like, it's like, is altruism, like kind of pure altruism re- real? Like, no, you always get something back, you know? And, and I feel like, you know, we're getting paid to do this, but man, what a gift to be part of a conversation, a coaching conversation. And it can, yeah, I find that that can be really inspiring as well, or having a really cool conversation like we're having with you right now, Phil. You know, and the word that comes to mind as you're saying all this, cause I couldn't agree more is connection. You know, it's that connection. And and I know for me, one of the hardest struggles I still struggle with these days, be, being my own business owner and entrepreneur, is there could be days where I will sit in my home office and I, if I'm actually not active about it, I will not connect with another human being outside my immediate family. You know, and 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 that was that is still a, a big challenge for me. From somebody, I was always around teams. I was already le- always leading teams for 20 years before you know prior to that. So I think it's that con- for me, it's that connection, like. If I was, that would get me out of any sort of slump I'm in, just having that. And it has to be an honest, real, 
deep authentic connection and, and just for me it's it's can change a whole mindset perfectly said i love that yeah and i think too this thing around just like being intentional and in a couple of podcasts ago i forget we were talking about like multitasking and how multitasking i mean much like being business has kind of become such like a badge of honor and like when we are in on these calls whether it's like recording a podcast or like a coaching call with a client, like we are 100% focused on just what it is that we are doing now. And I think that even that, like I know for me, like that is when I feel the most calm. That is when I feel the most present. It is like, this is how our bodies are supposed to be and feel. Mm-hmm. Instead of being constantly stimulated by all of these other things that are like popping up and, and just around like the importance of like, we need to create the spaces to be able to actually even connect because I find like so often people can say they're connecting, but it's like, are you actually? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. The book, I have a sense of what the title is, but I won't, I won't say that, but you know, someone listening to this is thinking, you know, I'd love to have Phil come talk to my executive team or at this conference or whatever. So what's what's the best way they find you, Phil? I know you think we'll probably have it in show notes, but it might be nice just to give a little plug. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's, I guess, my social platform I've chose to go deep into. So I can be found on LinkedIn. My website is impactleadershipteam.com. Uh, and, you know, besides that, good old Google search, I'm sure will pop up some good stories and bad stories about me and you point everyone in the right direction. So, yeah. I'd love to come and share my message. I'm, uh, you know, it's funny. One of the biggest, tra- the biggest business lessons I've learned is, you know, people want you to come and speak to them. And I'm so passionate about sharing my message. I really am. And I want to serve and give back to others. One of the hardest things I've had is to stop doing it for free because that's not a good business decision to make. You know, um, but I would love to come and, uh, you know, speak to speak to those leadership teams, organizations who who really value the message. And what pay for it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Paying for a lot of years of knowledge and wisdom and expertise and all of the above. Phil, as always, it is such a privilege and honor to be a friend, be a colleague, to have you come on here and share your story with us. With I'd like, and it's even still, I'm like, oh yeah, we're we're on a podcast. Like there's other people listening. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there's a certain comfort level sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> As there should be, as there should be. But yeah, thank you so much. And we will list all of Phil's information and any extra that we discussed in the show notes. And the best place for you all to find that is on our website at boilingpointpodcast.com. So Phil, Dave, thank you both so much. And I look forward to the next time I get to chat with the both of you. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Dave. Bye. See you, Phil. Good seeing you. See ya. Thank you for listening. Follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or visit boilingpointpodcast.com for more. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind what she said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com.
What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.